Let's prepare to, prepare to hear God's word to us. Let us pray. Oh God, we come before you and we ask that you calm within us, still within us, any voice but your own. That in the quietness of communion between the great I am and who we believe that we are, we may hear your word in you and in hearing, may we live it. For in the living of the word of God, we experience our Savior Jesus. And we are able to give him to all those around us. For it is in Christ's name we pray. Amen. would request that those who are able, please stand with me as we hear the reading of the Word of God from 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 through 8. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Well, before I get started, the uh, session of the Trinity Grace Church asked me to make sure I read the following. Uh, The session and the people of the Trinity Grace Church, the family of Tully Hunter and his beloved wife, would like you to know that we aren't responsible for anything he may say or do (laughs) while with you. I just don't get it, but they, they insist on it. It is a joy to be here when Billy and Charles came to, to see me and to talk about the, the aspect of faith promise. Uh, you'll get to experience a little bit of what they experienced that day, and that is I have a little trouble shutting up when it comes to such things because faith promise is, has been such an incredible instrument that God has used to work renewal in the Trinity Grace Church that God has used to reach out locally and truly around the world to bless lives, to care for the needy, and to bring people into a saving relationship with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And so when they said, we'd like you to come and preach, I said, sure, if you like torturing your people, I will be more than happy to come and bring the Word of God. And so... uh, You have in your bulletin, I'm a big fan of handouts. You see, in my spare time, I also teach uh, world history. Uh, I'm adjunct faculty for the University of North Georgia, and I teach in their online um, education program. And so I'm a big fan of give people a handout. Let them fill in a few blanks. You know, they'll be able to remember it that way. And if you're really boring, then they've got a nice rectangular piece of paper that actually does, and I look at our youth over here, uh, actually does make a really nice, well-flying paper airplane. So, whichever works for you, uh, you go ahead and do what needs for you. Now, when we first started talking at Trinity Grace about faith promise, it was something I had not heard of before. And so I start doing research, and I start praying. And of course, like a lot of people, I have a tendency when it comes to issues like this, I get a little cynical. And the first thing I thought about was, oh, it's another opportunity to get more money out of people in the church. 
And it reminded me of that wonderful old story about the church where the pastor got up and was talking about how we need more giving in order for us to be able to pay our bills, to do some renovations that are needed in order to do our ministries. We need to make sure that we have more funds and, and we need to understand the nature of the church. God has created the church to be the force of the living Savior in this world. And he said, but the church starts off and the church just crawls. And when we live for God, the church goes from crawling and it starts to walk. And now, this was a non-Presbyterian group of people, so a few folks in the crowd went, Amen, brother, preach it. You know, because we have to live up to our Presbyterian heritage. We are the frozen chosen. You know, often a Presbyterian's favorite Bible verse is, Many are cold, but few are frozen. And so these folks... <laughs> I, I told your choir that I love choirs, and now you know why. There it is. I, I love it. But so a few people, they, they heard the pastor talk about, you know, we, we moved from crawling to walking, and somebody said amen, and the preacher really got into it then. He said, oh yes, and then when we start walking for God, before you know it, we're up and we're running for God. And oh, now more people got involved. Amen, amen, that's wonderful. Please preach it, pastor. And he goes, and once we're running for God, we can fly for God. And they hear him, and, oh pastor, let the church fly, let the church fly and he says and the one thing that we need for the church to fly for God is we need your resources and he got really quiet just like it did right there and one beloved old saint in the back says in that low mumbling voice let the church crawl pastor let the church crawl <laughs> that's what I was afraid of when we started looking into and talking about faith promise and that is not it. That is not faith promise. That's not faithful Christian living. And faith promise is about faithful Christian living. What's in the name? It's there in the name of it itself. It's about faith. The faith that you and I have in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. The faith that took us as broken, sinful people and before God has healed us and made us whole. And we have not just that promise of eternal salvation one day, but we have the joy of seeking to live for God in the here and now, day in and day out. The joy of being able to go forth and see how the Savior changes our lives and the lives of those around us for God's glory. That's the faith. And the promise is that promise of God's Word that as we seek to live as faithful followers of Jesus, grounded in God's eternal promises. Isn't that what this book is? God's eternal promises. When we live as these people, that faith that we have flows from us into the world around us by God's Holy Spirit. So very quickly, if you've got that outline, before I can preach, the introduction's longer than the sermon, so don't panic. I promised Charles, where is he? Okay, I promised Charles I would have you out of here 12, 12.30 at the latest. <laughs> Uh-oh, I think three people just left, so I'm in trouble. <laughs> the introduction's longer than the sermon. But the introduction is very important. 
First of all, we need to know what faith promise is not. Faith promise is not a gimmick. Faith promise is not just another ploy for you to dig into your wallet. It's not going to be one of these things where, oh, if you will but give so-and-so amount, you will get this little bottle of healing waters from the River Jordan. You will have this miniature prayer cloth that you can kneel on. And it was used by St. Stephen himself before he was stoned. This is not a gimmick. There's no special rewards. There's no special prize. This is not a gimmick. Faith promise is not unbiblical either. Indeed, faith promise is like many things we do as a church. You can look through Scripture and you'll not find the, faith, the phrase faith promise anywhere. But there's a lot of things that the words aren't actually in the Bible that we know it's what the Bible teaches. I'll give you an example. Raise your hand if you've ever heard of the Trinity. There it is. Absolutely essential to who we are as people of a biblical faith. But that word doesn't show up in Scripture anywhere. But it's a word that describes the essence of what Scripture teaches. Faith promises the same thing. It's one of those phrases that tells us about the nature of biblical giving. It's that reminder that first and foremost, we are to be people who follow God's commandments. And one of the commandments that God gives us is to tithe to our place of worship. But unfortunately, what happens too often is that we give that money that's part of our tithe, and then we assume that the church can then take that and do absolutely everything in the world. Go back and take a close look at Scriptures, what it says about tithing. And, it, and what it tells you is tithing is for the upkeep and the promotion of the place of worship. As you give your tithe that is required of faithful people according to the Word of God, that's to take care of Parkway Presbyterian Church. That's to make sure that this building is always prepared and functioned and at its best to do ministry in this location. It's to make sure that you have the staff and the people and the resources that godly ministry is going forth in this place and from this place. That's the tithe. And then the Bible talks about these things called offerings. Offerings are over and above. That flows from us as people who are living out our faith and the promise of God's eternal blessing in every aspect of our life. It's not unbiblical. A few examples, 2 Corinthians 8 tells us about the importance of giving first to God. That's the tithe. 2 Corinthians chapter 9 that I'm preaching on part of here in just a few moments talks about the importance of giving cheerfully. Yeah, that's cheerfully, okay? Not, oh, here we go again. Philippians 4, the importance of from our offerings providing for and caring for those in the greatest of need around us. Luke chapter 6, the important principle of that measure you give being the measure that you receive. Romans chapter 12, offerings being the fountain from which the eternal love of God it springs forth and blesses the people around. This is who we are as people of faith. Your bulletin even says it. A few moments ago, what did we collect? Tithes and offerings. They're two very different things. They're also equally important. Finally, faith promise is not a fundraiser. 
I won't get into that at all because when I go off on my high horse and I start talking about fundraisers, I always offend someone because I don't like fundraisers. And I'm going to stop it there or I will offend someone, I promise you. I just don't like them. I particularly don't like them in the church. Because a fundraiser is essentially about how do we try to convince people. And that's not what faith promise is. We're not trying to convince anyone about anything. We're trying to fulfill something absolutely essential to who you and I are as people of faith in Jesus Christ and who we are called to be and making sure, as Scripture tells us, Jesus didn't leave us a long laundry list of things to do. He gave us a pretty short one. In Matthew chapter 25, he said, do what? Care for what he called the least of these. We're supposed to be people who are taking care of those who are hungry, those who have no place to live, those who have experienced incredible traumas in their life. We have a calling from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ that if we forget everything else we're supposed to do, that you do. And then the final chapter of the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus gave those great words, Go, therefore, and preach the gospel. And I love the Greek in that particular passage. It's known as the vocative. It's where you issue orders. As your parents tell you, go, clean your room. That's different than, hey, would you mind going and cleaning your room? You know where to draw that line. The vocative is the commander standing in the battlefield shouting orders that if the army does not follow, the army is destroyed. Jesus said, go! Share the gospel. Make disciples. Those are the two things that Jesus told us. If we are the church of Jesus Christ, those two things we do. We take care of those around us in the greatest of need. And we proclaim the saving gospel throughout the world. And ultimately, that's what faith promise is. Faith promise is the right tool at the right time. I don't know how many of you have ever tried this, because I have, and it had a really negative effect. Have you ever taken a nail, realized you did not have the appropriate tool, and so instead you took off your shoe and attempted to drive the nail in with your shoe? Is there anybody willing to admit that other than me? Okay, we've got some. Yeah, I broke two fingers. I honestly did. These two fingers, I broke. Had to wear them in a splint for two months. And the reason behind that was that, no, there's not a problem with driving a nail into an object when you need to drive a nail. The problem is when you don't use the right tool. And too often we as churches we forget that there are tools in ministry. And faith promise is nothing but a tool. You could call it Bubba 7 for all I care and accomplish the same thing, and it doesn't matter. The name means nothing. It's a tool that you can use for the glory of God to reach more people in need, to give the Savior to a greater number of folks. That's all faith promise is. It's the right tool at the right time to be the people that Jesus called us to be. And that's all that gets us to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. I bet you were wondering, goodness gracious, is he ever going to get there? I grew up in West Texas. 
we have this phrase that we use out there to talk about people. It's called, people don't run, people don't walk. In West Texas, we mosey. And do you know the difference between moseying somewhere and walking or driving or getting, or getting somewhere? When you mosey, you know the majority of the joy is in the journey there. And that's where faith promise brings us to 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 8. Reaping and sowing. 2 Corinthians chapter 9 tells us the importance of reaping and sowing. It gives us a primer that you're blank to fill in there. A primer. You know what a primer is, right? There's two primary meanings for the word primer. One of those, if we have any carpenters in the bunch, anybody that likes to do home restoration projects or anything, a primer normally refers to that stuff you put on to cover up the horrible mistake someone else did first so that you can then go back and paint over it and it looks the way that you want to. That's the nature of a primer. You paint it on. When it dries, you now have a surface that is prepared to take on the full look, the full color, the full understanding of what you want as a homeowner. Another way that the word primer gets used is that maybe some of you remember, I grew up in a little bitty town in the middle of nowhere, and we had school books that were about 50 years older than, any, than the oldest person in our school. And one of the things that we had was we had books when we first started learning how to read that were called primers. Because the purpose of those little books was that they walked you through the alphabet. They walked you through basic sounds. They walked you through basic words. Because if you did not have that basic foundation established, you were never going to learn how to read and write. You were never going to learn how to do mathematics. And that's what's happening here in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 through 8, is that Paul is giving us a primer as to what it means to be the people of God on a basis day in, day out. What is that base that we all need to work from? What is it that comes first or nothing else sticks? And he tells us, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. I grew up on a farm, my dad farmed 600 acres of what's called dry land cotton. And anybody that knows anything about what that last phrase means, you know this, our family was not poor, we were po. And you know the difference between being po and being poor. When you are po, you are so poor you can't afford the last two letters of the word. <laughs> but one of the things, even on 600 acres of dry land cotton where you were in semi-arid West Texas praying day in, day out for rain just so that your crops will come up, one of the things that we understood was in order for a crop to come up, what did you have to do? You had to plant the seed. Any of you that are gardeners, you know this. You may love squash. That may be your favorite vegetable. And you may want squash in your garden. But I've got news for you. 
if you don't plant squash, you will never harvest squash. I also have another guarantee for you. Normally, most of the time when you plant squash, you get more than one piece of produce per plant. Normally the plant produces multiple. And that's exactly Paul's point here. He's grabbing an image from agriculture saying, you know, when you plant the seed of God, when you sow that seed, it grows, it develops, and it becomes so much more than what you ever thought it could be. That's what he wants us to understand. It's a basic principle of farming. It's a basic principle of the Christian faith. When we live our faith, God's blessings abound. I know that because when I go back and I think about my life, I think of the different people that God has put in my life. And I think of all the people it's taken throughout the decades for me to be the person that I am today. And you can either give God credit or blame Him. That's up to you. I don't tell people how to make their judgments. But it wasn't just one person. I have Sunday school teachers, pastors, school teachers. I have community members. I have coaches. I have friends. I have co-workers. I have people that have poured their life into mine. And the primary thing that it's taught me is the only way that is, makes life worth living is to in turn, out of gratitude, out of thanksgiving, to invest my life into the life of others. That's what Paul is emphasizing. Spread that seed so. Because then we end up with Luke 8, Luke chapter 6, verse 38. Jesus said, Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put back in your lap. And a lot of people like to stop there and say, Oh, you know, I give a little something, and God's just going to bless me in so many ways, and it'll be so much more. No, that's the twisted prosperity gospel that we can have a long conversation about sometime if you want to. That's not the key. The next sentence is the key. For with the measure you use it will be measured back to you there's the key with the measure of your life and your faith that you use for the glory of god that's when the spirit moves we have that mixed up in our culture we put money as the pinnacle of success we define people's success by their salary, or by bonuses. We put such an emphasis on how much a car or a house will cost. And when you look at the society around us, friends, we know the truth. It's killing us. The statistics are clear. It's killing us in record numbers. Many years ago, I worked for an organization that trained adults to work with teenagers in the public school system. And I was young, I was in seminary, kind of a wild card. I didn't quite fit in, but I, I knew how to do this training to help these adults go out and try to make a difference in the life of teenagers. And we had this wonderful group of adults that when I had a graduating class, they would let us go to one of their homes and, one of the, and have our graduation there. And one of the homes I went to, 
I think this was my second or third graduating class, went to this home in downtown Atlanta, across the street, no, across the street, next door to the governor's mansion. And I mean, this place was so fancy that here I am, I'm wearing my best clothes of the day. I got on a pair of khakis, I got on a white shirt, and my sneakers didn't have too much duct tape on them, holding them together. It was my nicest clothes I had at the time I showed up at this place, and when I rang the doorbell, I thought, oh my goodness, Lurch is going to open the door. <laughs> boom, boom, big mansion, the door slowly opens, and the fellow goes, there, you must be Mr. Hunter. The madam of the house would like you to set up in the drawing room. And I kid you not, you could fit this building inside their drawing room. It had a 14-foot tall Tiffany crystal chandelier worth in excess of $5 million that was 20 feet off the floor. This thing was monstrous. I'm in there just going, trying to set up my little stuff, do my little graduation. I'm thinking, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? Finally, the lady of the house came in. I'd never met her before. We started talking as I'm setting up, and it was pretty pleasant at first, and she seemed to be at ease, and so then I made one of those incredible statements, those dumb statements that preachers have a tendency of doing. You try to think of something to help a conversation move forward, and so you say it. And so I said something like, wow, this is just an incredible room. I bet if these walls could talk, they would tell incredible stories. And I'm getting ready to hear about some great party or some great... She starts crying. And she said, yes, these walls would tell you about how I was sitting in that chair when I found out my husband was having an affair. When I came into this room and approximately where you're standing right now, our teenage daughter had attempted to kill herself. If these walls could talk, they would tell you nothing but heartbreak and sorrow. And I'll never forget what she said. She said, my family has always placed the emphasis on life, on the obtaining of money and not on using money for anything good. We sow because that's how we use our life and our resources in a way that God blesses and reaches the hurting and the lost and the needy. Giving is the basis of all joy. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Uh, the late Eugene Peterson was a marvelous author, uh, pastor, instructor. He's the person that translated the message version of the Bible. And one of my favorite books by Eugene Peterson is the book called Run With Horses. He loved nature. He loved being outdoors. He loved animals. And the point of the book, Run With Horses, is he tells stories of animals that he has observed and how that has reminded him about what it means to be a person of faith in Jesus Christ. And in the book, Run With Horses, he tells of an observation of one day, not one day, one week, he took some time off, he rented this little cabin by a lake, and the most fascinating thing happened. There was what he thinks was a swallow, a bird, 
and he could sit on his porch, drink his morning coffee, and he could see the, one of the parent birds coming and going, coming and going. Over the course of that week, the little baby birds started coming out, and there were three of them. And as they approached the end of the week, he said the inevitable happened. It was time for them to fly and make their own way. And it was on this old dead branch of a tree about four feet off the water. And you see the mother bird fly in, and she brings them out of the nest one at a time. And she starts pushing them toward the end of the branch. And he said these little baby birds, they clawed, they pecked back, and the mom got rather brutal on occasion, forcing these baby birds to go out. And the same thing happened all three times. When they finally reached the end, she forced them off the end of the branch, they started flapping wildly. They, he said, you could see the terror in their eyes. But in that four-foot fall, before they hit the water, you know what happened. The wings took shape, the power was there, and they flew off, never to return. And this is what he wrote about that. Birds have feet and can walk. Birds have talons and can grasp a branch securely. They can walk, they can cling, but flying is their characteristic action. And not until they fly are they living at their best gracefully and beautifully. Giving is what God made us to do. It is the air into which we are born. It is the action that was designed into us before our birth by our Creator. Some of us try desperately to hold on to ourselves, to our lives, to our objects, and we look so bedraggled and pathetic doing it, hanging on to the dead branch of a bank account for dear life, afraid to risk ourselves on the untried wings of giving. We don't think we can live generously because we have never really tried. But the sooner we start, the better. For we are going to have to give up our lives finally. And the longer we let, wait, the less time we have for the soaring and swooping life of grace that God made us for. We give because God first gave to us. We give because Jesus carried our sins to the cross. We give because every breath we draw, every talent we have, every resource we have access to, yes, we work, yes, we put in effort, but Scripture tells us it all comes from one place and one place alone. It is the gifts of God given to the people of God. That's why Jesus reminds us in Matthew chapter 6, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And finally, freely and abundantly you have received. Now freely and abundantly give. We're a little church halfway between Atlanta, Georgia, and Athens, Georgia. A little church that in its 15-plus year history, in its budget, it had never made a budget that it had ever set. 
It would try to set aside about $3,000 a year to support a handful of missionaries and a local food bank. And every year throughout their 15-year history, the same thing happened. The budget was too tight, and something had to give. And we know how that works, don't we? One of our church members, decades ago, when she and her husband, she gave me permission to tell the story. She told me if I used her name, she would hunt me down. And this woman terrifies me anyway, so I won't be using her name. <laughs> they traveled around. Her husband was a fighter pilot in the Air Force, and they went from place to place around the world. And one of the churches that made the biggest impression on the two of them was a place that practiced faith promise. And what she saw there, she so wanted the church in Loganville to find that ministry. So she first presented it to us, and after a time of prayer and consideration, session brought it to the people. And it was interesting hearing her story, because we went through a month of emphasis, and part of Faith Promise, and I encourage you through this, is telling your stories. And you'll find out why in just a moment. You need to be able to tell how God is moving and fulfilling that promise you make for those essential elements that Jesus commanded us to do as his followers. Well, she said that as she was praying and she was trying to figure out what number to write down on that faith promise so that she would have something that you know, she could hold herself to for God to fulfill this promise, she said, I'm just a senior citizen on a fixed income. I don't have any additional revenue sources. There's nothing there for me. How am I supposed to think about how God might promise me over and above what I already do? I don't understand how I'm going to do that. I'm no longer in a place in life where there's additional revenue streams. And she said, the more I prayed, a very specific number kept coming to her mind. And it was so much more than what she had ever thought logically she should put down. And it wasn't until the day we dedicated our faith promises that she said, I wrote down that number that God just would not let go of. And when I turned it in, I panicked because I said, there's no way I'm coming up with this. About two hours after that service, I get a phone call and this lady says, I'm telling my story to the congregation next week. And I've learned that this is one of those people that when she says, I'm going to do the following, all a preacher can do is say, yes, ma'am, and let her do it. She gets up the next morning and says, I've got to tell you how God fulfills true faith promises. And without giving the amount, she told the congregation exactly what I just told you. Here's this number. That I went home after church that Sunday. I have a phone call from my oldest son. I said, Mama, you home. I've got to come over and see you. He comes over, and she thought, my goodness, who died? What's gone wrong? He had a sense of urgency about him. That he sits down and said, Mom, I don't remember, I don't know if you remember this, but about 25 years ago, I'd gone through some horrible job situations. I come up with a business idea. Nobody would loan me the money. I came over and I talked to you and Daddy, and I told you I need X amount of money, and if you all would loan it to me, I would pay it back with full interest one day. And she said, You know, I've reached that place in life where I'm going, I don't actually remember that, but if you said it happened, well, sure, it happened. Because I just want you to know, 
I was sitting in church this morning. He goes to another church in town. I was sitting in church this morning, and God laid it on my heart that I've never actually done that. So I went home right after church, and I took that initial loan, and I worked it out over this almost 25 years with interest. He said, Mama, I want you to know I've become a very successful businessman. I have no material needs whatsoever. But it's way past time that I did this. He gives her a check for the full amount with 25 years of interest. And she said, you should have seen the look on his face when I started crying. He goes, I didn't mean to offend you. So when I looked at the amount on the check, he said it was exactly what I wrote down to the penny on my faith promise that Sunday morning in church. I'm not saying that that's always what happens, folks. But this is the thing about faith promise. It's us standing on the Word of God, knowing how God is constantly blessing us and dedicating ourselves so that the poor will eat and be sheltered, so the homeless will be nurtured, so the lost will hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is knowing that we have fully and freely received the entirety of God's blessings and that never stops. So quit trying to hang on to your blessings and use them to cast out those seeds. Use them to plant deep the crops that God will then raise up and harvest. And lives will be touched for the glory of God. Proverbs eleven twenty four says it best. One freely gives, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give, and only suffers want. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched, and the one who waters will himself be watered. You want a great blessing in your life? And again, this is not a prosperity gospel pitch. I'm not saying if you give X amount, God will turn around and bless you tenfold. No, there are going to be times that you're going to give because you know this is what God wants you to give, and then you're going to find yourself having to cut back on something financial. But the blessings of God will work in your life. And most importantly, the way God will move in the life of that person that's hungry. in the life of that person that's trapped in a lifestyle that is destructive. And because you all supported that ministry, God sets them free. That person that you will never meet in this world. But someday you'll be standing in glory. And they will come up to you and they will know that they came to know the Savior because you stretched yourself. That's faith promise. It's evangelism, it's mission, it's providing for the needy. It is actually becoming the people that our Savior gave His life to turn us into. His people, His community, built on His promises. Let us pray. Oh God, we give you thanks. We thank you 
for the privilege of having a life that doesn't simply revolve around our own navel-gazing. What a sign of lostness in our time, of hurt and broken hearts in our world, that all we can seem to get concerned about is what affects me. Well, as followers of Jesus, we know the truth. If Jesus had been interested only in ourselves, in himself, we would not have hope, forgiveness, or life this day. Life is found when we use our life for the glory of our Savior. As this congregation enters into faith promise, help them to remember that in everything they do and their faithful contribution and involvement to this place and in their promises beyond this place, everything that we do is a lost and hurting world. Jesus. It's in His name we pray. Amen.